This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're going to be talking about the movie I Am Woman, which is cropping up on Stan in um, coming in August. There's a lot of questions we've got about this one. Joining me today is Andrew Mercado. We're going to be talking to the film's producer, Rosemary Blight. Hi, Rosemary. Hi. Nice to be with you. Now, I guess the, I'm not sure where to start with, but let's start with why is this going to be screening on Stan? Had, had you hoped for a cinema release? And talk us through that. Yeah, sure. Uh, we had, uh, the film was uh, designed for a theatrical and then ongoing ancillaries after that. Uh, we were meant to be in cinemas May 21. Um, and Transmission had built an incredible campaign. We had a lot of support. It was going wide around the country. Uh, and then, of course, COVID happened and we, we sort of engaged with trying to hold on and in the end we made a decision that the film is a big audience film. The film is designed for a lot of people. It's not a small uh, art house film. It's a film like Helen's Music, which appealed to sort of middle Australia and middle America. This is what this film is. It needs an audience. So we um, then started discussions with Stan, who have a great audience share for the um, in Australia and for the audience we're looking for, which is that's when we made that decision. It, as um, you would know very well, our cinemas are, you know, the capacity of cinemas at the moment is very small. Audiences, our confidence of going back to the cinemas is in and out. I dream of being in the cinema, but I think we, we had to be real to reach an audience. Mm -hmm. will, will there be a, could I ask if there'll be a financial impact from no cinema window? Yeah, look, it's certainly, um, yes, it is certainly a different uh, financial model going this way. Um, what it does, though, the, one of the, and I, you know, sorry, that one of the things that is very interesting with all this is going on and we're all making decisions as producers is that I had the, I had the rest of the world held back against Australia because Australia is such a valuable territory for this movie. Helen, the recognition of who Helen Reddy is, mm. we actually did market research before we started the movie, it is in the 90%. Wow. It is like you mentioned Helen Reddy, you mentioned I Am Woman. So we made a decision to really make sure we had value in Australia and that uh, resulted in me saying, okay, well, let's hold back on other territories. It's unusual. A lot of the time you'd hold back America and let Australia go second. So when we were making this decision, we said, okay, if we go now, it allows the rest of the world to go. Yeah. Otherwise, we're waiting to have a mainstream Australian cinematic release. Does, does it take some of the stress away, Rosemary, in that, you know, I used to have a cinema and I know that, that my core audience, what used to be my core audience of those older viewers, I know they would have come to see this film and they would have come in droves and they would have loved it. But, you know, so many times we see, and you've been through this, Australian films going into a marketplace, going up against 
these huge Hollywood blockbusters with their marketing campaigns. Does it remove a level of stress for you now that you're on stand and you don't have to scan those box office reports and all you're going to see now is reactions from the film, which is going to be people love it? Yeah, look, a little bit. Like, I, I was pretty confident we had an audience for this film. Uh, we, uh, I, I could feel it. And so, but yes, you're right, you know, was I going to be up against Tenant? You know, our last film, Top End Wedding, was up against a Marvel movie that I choose to forget the name of. <laughs> um, <laughs> And that weekend, the, you know, our preview weekend of Top End Wedding, there was whole cinema, a cinema exhibition that only showed that, that mainstream movie, did not even preview Top End Wedding in other films. Mm. So we are up against it. So I am, although I believe that we, that, you know, we, well, we certainly made this film for cinema, I do believe that what's Stan will reach an audience and it's pretty exciting to watch the finale of The Voice and see I Am Woman advertised in the middle of it. And Stan's commitment when they came on this movie, they went, we're going to go big, we're going to reach an audience, we're going to explode our audience bigger than we can imagine, we know there's one there and they're, they're, you know, they're keeping their promise so it's pretty exciting. And to know that it's going out on August 28th, I don't have to think when will Victorian cinemas open? You know, what will happen in Adelaide? What will happen here? I don't have to worry about that anymore. I can just enjoy responses. And I think it's great that you're on Stan because Stan have built this reputation on supporting Australian productions, making a, original shows. They've also proved that they're, they're a supporter of diversity and, and I Am Woman is an important film in terms of story. So I think it's, it's a great fit. It, it would have been lovely to see it on a big cinema screen, but I think it's a wonderful fit for Stan in particular. I think so. And St- Stan, is, Stan is the future. Stan is a value, valuable sort of uh, part of how we'll be financing movies and television into the future in this country. They are actually, you know, walking the talk. They are saying, you know, they are committing to Australian productions. They're committing big to Australian productions. You know, when they, they took the, the Kelly Gang, you couldn't, you know, there wasn't a place you could look that wasn't the Kelly Gang wasn't on the side. It was on the side of every bus. Yeah. Very rarely does Australian films get that level of support. That's so I, I agree. I, um, they're incredibly valuable plank to our financing now and to reaching an audience. And I really hope their audience share just keeps growing because, because of that. While we're on this theme of the, the business model, um, I might just throw in one more before we get through the maybe more interesting stuff about making the movie. But um, with, a, with a project like I Am Woman and Hallie, Helen Reddy, given her sort of global profile, um, how much is the rest of the world important to, to sort of, I guess, making a profit? And how, how big a part will Australia play in that? It- Australia is certainly the fulcrum of, of the audience response to the film and coming very close second to that is the States. Helen had, you know, nine US singles uh, in the top ten. Like, you know, she, is, uh, she was incre- in her time, she was sort of Beyonce level in terms of where she was in the Billboard charts. So there is as much recognition of her 
um, in the States as it is in Australia. Obviously, and so we are going, uh, we've got a, just, we're going out September 11, which I went, oh my God, September 11. But the Americans, I went, it'll be fine. I think they've got so much going on in America that's not uh, that wasn't a concern, but it's getting a really big response over there. Uh, they're hoping to go if they can do some cinemas, even they will. Uh, but they are they're going wide and they're going aggressive. So uh, it is now it is as important as Australia, particularly now. And then so okay, so the, the making of the movie why why I am woman? How how did that get on your radar? I have known Anju Moon, the director, for a long time. We uh, sort of uh, grew up together in the film industry. She, um, as you probably know, was uh, a f she made ads and uh, she was at film school in Australia before she went to the States. And she was in Australia and she came to me and she, as only Anju can and she pitched me this. She is such a dynamic person and she has such a passion and understanding of this film. And she basically said to me, I was at an awards dinner and I think it was Gide USA or something like that. And she said, I was with my husband and her husband's Dion Beebe, the cinematographer. And Dion was, I looked who Dion was sitting next to and she, he was sitting next to Helen Reddy. So I swapped the name tags and I sat next to Helen and basically she did nothing else but talk to Helen for hours and hours. By the end of said dinner, she'd got an agreement from Helen that they could continue the conversation to to tell the story of Helen's life. And Andrew said, so I left that dinner and I went searching for who has done something on Helen Reddy. Anything. Documentaries. There, is not, there was nothing on her. And it was one of the interesting things about women's stories and our female heroes, if you like, is that some got lost to history. They sort of disappeared and we haven't had that opportunity to tell these stories so that's why I saw it. I always love music films. I, I, I do a lot of music films. I come out of the music industry originally. So I love, I love music and I love matching music and celluloid together is fantastic. And um, it wasn't hard to convince me that there was an audience. Back to what Angela was saying, you know the people who are going to watch this movie and hopefully they'll talk, tell their daughters <laughs> all about it. You actually forget until you watch the film what you've just said then, how big a star Helen Reddy was. I mean, each new song as it came, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember this one. And, and I know too that as a, a, a child of the 70s, it wasn't just that her music was playing on television and radio, but then she started making these movies. I mean, she was in the Walt Disney film Pete's Dragon and then she was playing a nun in Airport 75 and it was like you forget that she was a massive star in the 70s. Absolutely. Matt. She was right at the top of her game. She was doing Las Vegas. She was, you know, she was a number one and actually she was bigger over there. I think Australia was at the time still suffering a little bit from the sort of tall poppy, you know, we didn't really understand it. There was no emails. I'm sure. <laughs> there was no Instagram. Yeah. So what was going over there? I don't, I think Australians will be surprised when they watch the film about her level of success and what she went through and the decisions she made, which were incredibly big decisions mm. and choices. So now there's a, a soundtrack coming out. Tell us a little bit about that. And is it Chelsea Cullen who sings a lot of the material? Yes, yeah, she, she does. Uh, the movie has um, 
Helen Reddy's songs in it, sung by Helen. But uh, when Tilda Cobbin Harvey sings Helen's songs, uh, we had to find a voice that worked for Tilda's, Tilda's body, Tilda's physicality. It was, it's a very hard thing to do to place Helen Reddy's voice within Tilda and go, that will work. It, it sort of sounds really weird. So we, uh, Brian Jones, our music producer, went around the world looking for a voice that would sit within Tilda's body and actually ended up eventually finding this young woman from Western Australia, Chelsea Cullen, who's got an amazing voice and she was just right. When they met, it was so interesting when they met, they're exactly the same height and both their mothers were dancers and there was something about it. And so you, you bring the performance of uh, Tilda's performance. So we pre-recorded it all with Chelsea and obviously then filmed it. And then Anju and Brian went back into the studio together and you start to, you work a little bit more with Chelsea and the performance of Tilda's and you bring that together. Um, and it works, I think it works really well. Probably the biggest compliment we got was when Jeff Wald, Helen's husband and was her producer, he watched the film and we were sitting behind him and every time Tilda sang with Chelsea's voice, he'd whisper to his son and I was literally dying because Jeff Wilde, if you've seen this movie, is, is you know, he's, he's a tough customer, you know. He's, he may have been sober for 30 years but, my goodness, he's tough. And he turned around at the end he said, I didn't know it, was, it wasn't Helen. I thought it was Helen. And I just, I, then I started to cry because I was an emotional wreck. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about that slight, there's, there's just the slightest lisp that Tilda gets in terms of uh, Ellen Reddy speaking that you also then just hear in the music. And it's, it's something that I didn't realise about Helen Reddy until I saw this movie and went, yeah, yeah, it's just the slightest bit there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, Tilda, uh, I don't know if you've ever met Tilda or had it, like Tilda's process was absolutely extraordinary. She is an actor who needs to get right down to that detail. So she worked with uh, dialogue coaches, she worked with movement coaches, dance coaches, she worked with Kate Champion as one of Australia's great contemporary dancers to get, to get, every move, every, um, how, how Helen speaks, that was, that was an incredibly big thing. She was very, very nervous. Like when you're playing a, a, someone who's still alive, someone whose family is still, is, you speak to her family, uh, she felt very um, responsible for it. So that's where that came from. But that was months and months and months. Anju and Tilda worked together so closely to make that happen. Um, yeah, so thank you for picking that up, though, Andrew. <laughs> it's great. Well spotted, Andrew. Just tell us a little bit about that casting process for Tilda. H how far into it were you before you did you, you screen tested her, did you? What happened? Yeah, we did. We actually... The first thing we did was put her through a bit of hell. We went to Adelaide. She was in Adelaide and I went down there with Brian Jones, the music producer, and we put her into a studio and got her, got her to sing songs just to see what it would be like. And she's actually got a pretty good voice. Um, 
but uh, it was it was hysterical. So we, I just said, like, pretend you're in the shower. <laughs> just see. <laughs> so I have this amazing footage that I promise I'll never show anyone <laughs> of Tilda Common Harvey singing the whole Helen Reddy catalog. Um, so we started off there and part of it was just to uh, loosen her up and then, um, and then her and Andrew did, uh, did sort of conversations around performance and who Helen was and then actually we even did screen testing which is something I've never done before and that was the, I had the pleasure because we were working with Dion Beebe, he had access to actually do screen tests on with, you know, the, the cameras that we shot on, we did screen tests, like old-fashioned screen tests where you sit in the cinema and watch it on the big screen. Uh-huh. Felt like I was in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and we did, we, hold, we did, so we did a whole makeup test to just check how we could get her look. So we aged her. We did, we took her, as you know, in the movie, she goes from a young woman to Helen at 49 and... Uh, we took her through that whole journey of aging and we were, the, so that was at least a year before we started filming. One of the things we were looking for is whether we'd have to do any uh, uh, sort of the effects or, you know, like do anything to enhance her. But Tilda has such an ability to embody um, her character at whatever age she is that we did have to do nothing other than bit of weight around, you know, like a little bit, you know, we helped her a little bit, but Helen through the ages is totally Tilda's performance. Amazing. Yeah. Andrew, you remember on that? Yeah, so since we're talking about, you know, did you need to do some sort of, you know, effect, there's a shot in the film that to me I'm really curious about. So there's this shot where Helen Reddy walks out onto a stage and the camera comes from behind and you see her viewpoint of thousands of people down the aisle watching her. And it made me wonder, you know, that's the sort of shot that really said, yes, this is a movie. And I'm wondering if that shot was particularly expensive to recreate or has CGI gotten that little bit better in the last few years that it becomes easier to do shots like that and actually make you believe that you're shooting it with thousands and thousands of extras in Washington? Yeah, it was, um, wow. If you'd actually been there on the day we shot that, we actually shot that in Centennial Park. And I spent the entire day onto the Weather Bureau because there was an, uh, an a storm in Blacktown that was moving towards us and I kept being told that if it gets any closer, you're going to have to shut down. Meanwhile, I have only 300 people maximum and I'm moving those three, we are moving, Anju and Dion are moving those 300 people around this area of Centennial Park in the middle of Sydney so that they could be duplicated. So, yes, it is, uh, it is, has the benefit of VFX and CGI. It was done in Australia, which is amazing, cutting edge post uh, in New South Wales, down the road from, from here, did that. And I didn't believe that they could make it look like that. I was, we were so nervous. And yes, it costs, without a doubt, it costs. Um, it, the movie is not a $100 million movie though, and you know that, like it's an Australian independent movie. So 
the fact that you can do that and sell that scale, and we needed to sell that scale that moment. She's at Washington yeah. Memorial. You need to see the impact of that song had on generations. And I'm giving, you know, it's because I'm speaking to media week. I'm giving away a whole lot of secrets. But um, most people who'll be listening to this podcast are, uh, would be aware of the magic of movies, I'm sure. Yeah. And, um, so, yes, it, it was done in Australia and it was where we put a lot of our resources. But, you know, that's one of the shots in it that elevates that film when you think about biopics that haven't pulled it off because the wigs have looked wrong or whatever or, they've, they've, you know, they haven't had a great budget. It's a shot like that that makes you go, wow, yes, this is... And so whatever that shot cost, it was worth every cent because it, it cements that film as being, I, I guess, the real authority on, on what happened in her life, yeah. Uh, it's uh, the detail of it. Uh, Andrew was so detailed that there's, there's people holding banners because that's what they were doing and um, the actual real event. Those banners, that Cutting Edge and Andrew detailed those banners. So what the banners say, like it is that it was a lot of thought was put into making, we want our audience to come out of this movie feeling empowered, strong and singing in the safety of their homes, of course, because yeah. they're not safe anymore. There's, there's also a scene, I think it's in a, a, in a theatre. It might be the, the concert where Lillian Roxon leaves two vacant seats and she yeah. realises she hasn't come. Where, where did you shoot that? That's on um, the Enmore Theatre. Oh, really? Yeah, in Sydney. Oh. Yes, that's the Carnegie Hall scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, which I just, and that was uh, a lot of research into what Carnegie Hall looked like at the time. Carnegie Hall didn't always... Um, have the boxes at the side. It, it changed over time. So we had to get it exactly in the period that Helen played there and what it looked like at the time. And then with the visual effects department, we literally built that, that whole stage. Like we obviously, we had an audience there that we shot and then they placed that audience in their world. And particularly the Prosimian arch across the top of the stage. Yes. Uh, it's magic. That is actually, to me, that is one of my favourite uh, scenes in selling the world. Right. right. Yeah. Um, you, your writer, uh, Emma Jensen, tell us yeah. a little bit about uh, her. She's it's the only writer credited, so she, yeah. she um, did it all? She did it all. She did it all. Um, when we were identifying writers, uh, we wanted someone who loved music and uh, someone who also was happy to put, uh, was really comfortable putting that heart onto the page. We really want the audience to really, um, we wanted to crack a lot of eggs. We wanted the audience to feel what Helen went through and not to be scared of that, um, not to be too cool for it, to actually just go for it and deliver it to the audience. And Emma does that really well. She'd done Mary Shelley beforehand, so she's an experienced screenwriter. And... Emma is just a music fan. Emma is obsessed. Emma's got a vinyl record collection bigger than a house. And we just connected with her. And we did a lot of workshops together where we, but like they do in television, where they sit around a room and talk through ideas. And Anju had such a strong relationship with Helen that we got a lot of detail and from Helen's daughter and Helen's son. 
So uh, together, Anju and Emma sort of investigated the story together and Emma wrote the script. Emma went to LA and uh, went to Las Vegas and saw one of Helen's last Las Vegas shows and got picked up in the limousine and got with Helen and got literally driven around the corner to the hotel and it was like the whole thing. Emma loved it. So, yes, she is. Um, How long ago was that? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that. It, it would be five years ago now. Helen hasn't. I saw Helen's last Australian show, which was at the Emerald Theatre, actually. Um, and that would be five years ago. So is this how long this project's been with you? Yes. Wow. Maybe wow. a bit long. Yeah. Can, can we ask about uh, Danielle McDonald playing Lillian Roxon? Because, I mean, Danielle McDonald, this Australian actress that's kind of working overseas, and I'm yet to see something that she's been in where she hasn't been magnificent. I mean, I didn't know anything about Lillian Roxon, and I knew that James uh, picked up on this and said it was so great to see her included in the story too. I, and I must admit, I'm ashamed to admit, I, I didn't know who she was. Yeah, well, um, you're, you know, a lot of people don't know who Lillian Roxon was and actually what she achieved. And we all feel that Lillian Roxon deserves a movie of her own. Mm. There was a, um, a wonderful documentary on her life that, James, you may have seen. Um, and there's been a book. Uh, but Lillian, uh, Lillian Roxon was a powerhouse. Lillian Roxon is credited for discovering Iggy Pop and the Stooges. And it's true that she had a friendship with David Bowie and, and uh, Darren Hinch, actually, of all people, can tell you stories about um, Lillian Roxon because he worked in the New York uh, desk, uh, foreign desk, uh, with her when she was there. He remembers Helen Reddy coming in that first day wow. and sitting on the side of the desk and what she was wearing and everything. He's got lots of stories. Um, Lillian is, uh, was a powerhouse and it was when we were trying to identify who should play Lillian, we thought it was really important it was an Australian mm. because Lillian went to America but didn't become an American. She stayed in Australia and she stayed in Australia. And I don't, if you really are interested in her, she did all these, she did early podcasts. She recorded these live, these interviews with famous people like the Stooges. She'd give story, you know, she'd wrap stories around and she'd send them by post or down the wire, however they did it then. And they're actually in the National Film and Sound Archive. And you can listen to hours and hours of content from her, from her what was called a radio show. Um, so when we were trying to find uh, Lillian, and we actually cast Danielle first, because when we saw Patty Cakes, and I, I'd seen Patty Cakes, I went to a press screening. I sneaked in, pretended I was a member of the press in Cannes and um, there I was with all the, you know what the press are like, you're from the press, you too, you can be <laughs> in those screenings, you can look at your phones, you can like, you know, talk, you can leave, no one left this screening, no one left the paddy cat screening in, in Cannes, those grumpy old journalists were totally entranced by Danielle McDonald and I could not believe she was Australian. And so I, I saw that. Anju also saw it simultaneously and we went, if we, there's no one else but her. And we are so lucky to have Danielle McDonald. And I wish she'd come back and live in Australia, but I get it. <laughs> yeah. After seeing that and seeing, I, I, I was surprised again how, how um, early in this 
in the movie or in, in her life that Lillian actually died. I mean, her, her, the, the, what she, her sort of footprint is so big that I just assumed she was a lot older when she actually died. And, and I had to go and look it up and I go, oh, that's right. Well, she did really die. I think it was back in, what, the early 70s, I think. She in the mid-70s. I think. Yeah, like she died. She had a, a large influence on mm. Helen's life, but she wasn't there for a lot of it. Mm. And, you know, the actual, you know, obviously we're inspired by, so there's a couple of things which are, you know, um, moved around for, you know, for dramatic effect. But when Tra it was Tracy Donnett, uh, who's Helen's daughter, told us about, about Lillian and told us those stories. And it was actually a real key for Emma Jensen in how to actually, uh, what was the story engine of, of the movie? Yes, it's Helen Reddy's life, but it's also a story about a great friendship and the influence of a great friendship. And when you have those friends and how they can change your life. And in a way, I think Lillian impacted Helen, allowed Helen to be Helen. And if those, the liner notes on Helen's first album, which I have behind me, oh. <laughs> so no one else can see it. Other, um, uh, they're so meaningful and it just basically says, you know, be your own voice. You're allowed to actually have your own voice. And uh, who doesn't want to be told that, whether it's, whether you're a famous, going to be a famous singer or just someone else. So um, I, it's, I think it's a fundamental part of the movie that it's to and me. If, if Lillian Roxon had lived, she might have been hanging out with Iggy Pop and David Bowie in the 80s. Now that Iggy Pop has just revealed, they used to sit around watching David Bowie's favourite TV show, which was a country practice. <laughs> Lillian would have gone a great Australian TV show. We, we might have found that news out earlier than uh, 2020, that David Bowie's favourite show was a country practice. Um, Andrew, I have to say I haven't heard that yet and I'm... It's I'm, been breaking all over the internet recently and apparently it's a real thing. And because David Bowie knew Lorraine Desmond, they shared the same agent in England when David Bowie started his career and Lorraine Desmond was over there in the 60s, they had the same agent. So I guess that's why he started watching the show and ended up loving it. I'm still coming to terms with Lorraine Desmond and David Bowie. <laughs> There's another movie there, Rosemary. I'm giving you content. And that's no offence to either of them. I guess they're an interesting pair. Yeah. Well, can you give us any other insights into the... Um the people who were still around and their reaction to the project and, and maybe any input they had during it. You've mentioned uh, Jeff Wald in a screening. Um, talk to us a little bit as, about him and then also Helen and, and what she's doing and how she is these days. Certainly. Um, Jeff Wald, uh, it took a while for Andrew to have the, have the guts to go and meet with Jeff Wald because he's such, uh, you know, he's an incredible character. Like he did... You know, he did produce Sly, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Rocky movies and he did manage Crosby, Stills and Nash and, like, he was major. He is in the Hollywood, you know, Managers Hall of Fame. Um, but he's a, he's a big, big personality. So when she had lunch with him, she said, I'll have lunch with you. It started at midday. She was still there at 7 o'clock <laughs> and he was still talking. And what's the extraordinary thing about Jeff is that he's not afraid to tell you 
the truth. He was he wasn't a nice person. Mm. He there was a lot of excess. There was a, so much excess, and it was the seventies. There was a lot of excess everywhere. But he catapulted excess to another level. And he will talk about that. He will talk about the impact on Helen and the impact on his children in a very honest way. Um, so he was incredibly valuable and a great asset to us. And he turns up to every screening he can. Um, and he's, he's a great champion, which is really lucky. He loves ringing me and telling me about how he'd market the movie. And I probably would have to agree he's probably right. <laughs> Because he could market anything. Yeah. Um, so we had a, in regards to Helen, we screened a film for Helen before it was locked. It was very important to us that we had Helen's, that Helen got a chance to see it, as did her daughter Tracy, her son Jordan that came over from England. He lives in the UK. And the granddaughter Lily, who's also in the movie. So we, we hired out this little cinema, which bizarrely used to be where Jeff World had his office in Santa Monica. And we're in this screening room and we put on the movie and Jeff Ward we had a separate screening for because we weren't quite sure about that. So we had, we, we did all this in one day. So we did Helen first and it was, they, we were behind them and Helen from the moment it started, started to sing all the songs. She knew, she, she loved the music. She loved, she was tapping her feet and she was laughing and uh, she got very upset uh, when Lillian died. So it brought back lots of memories for her. Mm. Um, at the end of the movie, she turned around and asked for her children who were there with her. And it's very hard not to talk about it without crying. The projectionist came around and came in the room and grabbed her and said, you know, I can't believe I'm in the presence of such a star. He was in love with her too. And so there was a lot of tears and a lot of warmth and um, a lot of support. And that, I've got to say, probably I really want an audience to see this film, but once I did that screening, I was <laughs> feel like we, we did it. Um, and what was a beautiful thing afterwards then, so they went and had a cup of tea. Then Jeff came to watch the movie. And we weren't expecting the family to come back. We thought they would go and leave. And then Helen, all, they all came back as Jeff was walking out of the screening. And we went, oh, this would be interesting because they don't, you know, they'd see a bit of each other. But there is, um, there is a deep respect and they all hung around, chatted to each other. And there's a beautiful photograph of all the family together um, at, at that moment of seeing the film together, um, which um, means a lot to us. What an amazing story. Wow, how incredible to be there and, and see the reaction of such a fantastic reaction to someone seeing their life. That's beautiful. I want to cry too now. <laughs> I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. And, and to, to be in a, um, a screening where Helen is singing the songs that, she, that she's singing along to her own songs was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Stuff like that just makes must make what you do so worthwhile, you know, and um, if you can make a living out of it, that's a bonus, I guess, isn't it, you know, that... Uh... Uh, it's, a, it's, it's one, it was that exactly, exactly that. It was what a privilege. Mm. This, mm. If I ever write a book that may, no one may want to read, I'll put it in the book. Yeah. It'd be <laughs> fascinating to see what this movie does for Stan because people are going to want to watch this for Helen Reddy. I mean... 
the fact that you've done a brilliant job as a as a bonus. So there's two things really going for it. I think. Do you do you agree, Andrew? That- yeah, absolutely. I, I thought the film was sensational. I thought. I also think the timing of it now is really interesting because you have this companion TV series, Mrs. America, with Kate Blanchett playing Phyllis Shafley, and all of the stuff going on there with the ERA is mentioned in I Am Woman. So the fact that these two things have kind of come out together, very interesting, because, again, I had never heard of Phyllis Shafley till these projects. But, you know, that that song, it's just... I remember uh, hearing it at the... A, concert that Helen did for Mardi Gras in Centennial Park back in the early 2000s. And I remember then how incredibly powerful that that song is and how it's one of the greatest songs of all time. I'm so happy you've made this film, Rosemary. I've learned so much from it, but it's also brought back so many great memories for me as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, I, I just wanted to ask you um, if you got, uh, in general, a, a little bit about um, you, are Rosemary, and I guess Goalpost. I mean, TV versus movies. You you seem to be veering, maybe more than than into movies. Than I mean, you've got you've got a fair body of work in both, but movies seem to be where you're doing most of the stuff these days. We are. We. Um we made our last movie, we did Top End Wedding and then we, uh, we produced Invisible Man with Blumhouse, which uh, got shut down uh, just before, well, it, it made 18 days, I think, in the cinema. Uh, it was number one a couple of weeks ago in Australia, though, which is exciting. Um, we, we really like to do both. And um, next, we've got two big projects coming up. One is a movie. Uh, but one is a television series called New Gold Mountain with SBS TV, which we were meant to be in pre-production of. Uh, but we, hopefully, fingers crossed, it's going to be shot in regional Victoria. So we feel we can do it, that we'll be shooting by October. And this is the one that focuses on uh, the Chinese immigrants, isn't it? Which I remember reading the synopsis thinking, what a great way to tell that story from a different perspective. It's really fascinating. It's, it's basically the gold rush stories from a Chinese point of view um, with a Chinese protagonist who is based on a real, a real person of the time. So it's a really interesting way into our history that we, you know, we, we, know, we all know the Chinese came to Australian gold fields, but we have never, I've never seen a story from their point of view and their experiences. And he's a fantastic, mercurial, wonderful character. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, they're great scripts. Uh, we're very excited. Uh, Corey Chen is directing them all. And we uh, hopefully will be starting. <laughs> Good luck. Tell us a little bit about, I mean, most people know the business, I guess, for the Sapphires. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the impact that had on maybe your career, the, the, the partnership of the people running the company. Uh, the Sapphires? Yeah, yeah. Um, the Sapphires was a, you know, there's things that happen in your life and they go, what was that moment that sort of changed and uh, sort of gave you that sort of gave you that, it almost like gave us a, a sort of an energy boost to keep moving forward in a much bigger way and it was definitely the Sapphires. Um, it, 
we, no one really wanted to make the sapphires. We wanted to make the sapphires, of course, but no one really wanted to fund the sapphires. It's a real testament to Australian funding bodies that if we can actually put, and they put a lot of finance into that movie and the results, they, they, we did return. And it was, um, it changed the life of us, Wayne Blair, Tony Briggs, Miranda Tapsell, all, all, you know, Dead Man was already a star, but certainly, you know, the younger cast members, it, um, it changed all our lives. And I still love it. We're still working on it. We've got a secret Sapphires project yeah. happening. With Tony Briggs. Yeah. Tony Briggs, who is the, uh, who co-wrote the script, um, and obviously it's his family story, so he is the keeper and holder of that wonderful story. Uh, we're having a many a Zoom call at the moment, which is fun. Are you also having Zoom calls with the lovely Miranda Tapsell about could there be more for the top end wedding? Yeah. Uh, they, got, they married, you know. They, to me, it says there could be more movies there. People seem to be asking about it on Twitter. They're always making suggestions to Miss Tapsell. Yeah, they are, they are, yes. Um, we are certainly in discussions with uh, Miranda and Josh Tyler, uh, who co-wrote it with her and created Top End. I think the common thing between the Sapphires and uh, Top End Wedding uh, apart, you know, of course, they, they both live in the world of um, incredible Indigenous storytellers who are leading these stories and telling their stories. But they're also full of joy. Mm -hmm. And Sorry. people want joy, I think. I think at the moment, I want to laugh. I'm happy to cry. But I think it's nice to escape and to see wonderful people whose hearts beat so big and no, you know, Miranda Tapsell's heart, you know, it's, it beats big and large in everything she does. And um, I think that's why people want to see more of both those projects. Yeah. And of course, both have Wayne Blair behind them. So he must have, he's got a bit of a magic touch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the magnificent Mr. Blair. Yeah. Uh, you, you used the Aussie connection, obviously helped you a little bit with Helen Reddy. Um, Tell us about the two projects with uh, Lee Wannell. Um, That's again the Australian connection. <laughs> Lee through friends of friends of friends of actors who, you know, we got recommended to Lee when we were doing uh, for Upgrade and um, um, an Australian actor said, yeah, go and talk to them. They're good. <laughs> and we ended up in conversations with Lee and Kylie Dufresne, who's my longstanding business partner here connected really strongly so she took we take the lead on projects so she she went okay let's do this and um really got to know lee and dig down the upgrade and upgrade was the first one and and that was uh he really wanted to do that in melbourne because lee's from melbourne mm. and uh it was successful enough to do invisible man yeah which was like wow he, what a filmmaker Lee Winnell is. Yeah, totally. He, he's come a long way from reviewing movies on recovery back in the day. <laughs> There's hope for us all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is a, a really fine filmmaker who really understands audience and how to keep you on the edge of your seat. And I think the magic about him is that for genres that upgrade and Invisible Man, were they really appealed to female audiences. Yeah. The test screenings of Visible Man, women responded 
in the highest bracket. Very clever. Yeah. Very clever to take horror to that audience, which generally horror films are made for men. Very, very clever. Yeah. The, um, I've got to let you go shortly, but one thing I wanted to ask you, then I'll let Andrew f- finish it up. The, um, now, was one of the investors on I Am Woman the, uh, the Australian Women's Weekly? Yes, yes. <laughs> Bauer Media. Yeah, interestingly, Bauer Media no longer in Australia anymore, but I guess you got them involved while they were still active here? Yeah, I did. Um, but there's a connect with... At the time, Bauer Media, you know, Helen's story is a strong Australian women's story. Their catalogue of magazines is obviously uh, Women's Weekly um, is a powerhouse. They had Helen Reddy in Women's Weekly when Helen Reddy was in a, you know, first left Australia for America. So um, it was a natural fit, um, which is why we connected with them. And they really wanted to engage. They wanted to uh, engage more fully, which is why they took an investment position as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Well, I just want to say in conclusion that the one actor we haven't talked about is Evan Peters, uh, who plays Jeff Wald. You know, Evan Peters, who's been in X-Men, American Horror Story, and was so fabulous in the first series of Pose. Really, really great to see him in an Australian film. Thank you. It's a pleasure. <laughs> the play, uh, he is magnificent. There is, uh, he's also a magnificent human being. When we're in Toronto and Toronto said, oh, of course, we did tell you you're all going to sing I Am Woman on the live stage in the middle of the street after the movie. And we went, yeah, of course you did. So I had to convince Evan Peters, he was the only guy on stage, and there he is belting out I Am Woman. And for people interested, it's somewhere on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> Fantastic. Look, I've, I told a lie. I've got one more quick one. You, you mentioned you come from the music industry. You're the first entry in your IMDb biography. Can I ask you this? It mentions a Jason Donovan video. <laughs> is that correct or is that just cropped up there. And, and I ask that with no shame with Jason Donovan. I mean, my background is Smash Hits magazine, so it was very important to me helping my career in the media. So I'd be interested to hear your story. And, of course, I don't have to reveal anything well, to say that I love Jason Donovan too. <laughs> and I love Jason too. And it is real. It is true. I, uh, that is a real credit. I did a lot of music videos. It is a bit of a mystery about how it got on IMDb Pro. <laughs> um, and, and one of the things about IMDb, you can't really take it off. You don't sort of put it on yourself. Someone else puts it on there. But I am, I am proud to have done uh, Jason's, um, uh, Jason's music video. And, uh, yes, so it is a fact. And I, I loved making that clip. I remember, mate, the director was Paul Elliott and we did it in a petrol station on Victoria Road in Sydney. I'd have to revisit to work out what else we did, but that's what I can remember. Fantastic. Look, it's been great talking to you, Rosemary. Thanks so much for your time. Um, as you can tell, we both love the movie. I'm, I'm sure people who go and see it will. It'll be fascinating to get the feedback from um, Stan after it goes up on August 28. So I'm sure people who, people will take up a subscription, I think, to go and watch this or at least trial the platform anyway to see what they might be missing out on. So um, good luck with it. Thank you so much. I appreciate um, talking to both of you and thank you for loving the movie. Thank you for making it, Rosemary.